Episode of Monday Morning Motivation. I'm your host, Morty Liss. Here on Monday Morning Motivation, we discuss the human psyche, what makes us tick, and how we can not only survive, but thrive through our week. This week, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, we're we, we're going to interview a special guest, Rabbi David Saberman. Rabbi David Saberman founded the Animamen Foundation in 2009, and it goes through a lot of the proofs of God's existence, and proofs of how God gave the, the Torah to to the Jews at, at Mount Sinai. Rabbi Saberman has been in Chinuch for over 50 years. He's spoken all around the world and has worked extensively in the field of Kirov Kirovim and Kirov Rechaikim. Rabbi Saberman founded the Animam Foundation, as I said, in 2009, and has dedicated himself to offering Chizik and Imuna to Benitara of all ages and backgrounds. The Animam Foundation has held presentations for over 50,000 people around the world. Rabbi Saberman has given hundreds, if not thousands, of lectures over the years, and the Shirim can be found at Torah anytime. Rabbi Saberman is also the author of several books, including Amuna, a refresher course, Tranquility and Travail, and the, Unbo- and the Unbroken Chain, published by Mosaica Press and can be purchased on mosaicapress.com. And his books, as well as his audio series, can be purchased on his website, animamenfoundation.org. In this interview, we discussed uh, not just the Animamen Foundation, but also issues that have been, you know, that Rabbi Saberman had found within the Chinuch system, and he's been really trying to fill it in for decades at this point. Uh, it really is a fascinating interview. He's a fascinating person, and I hope you all will enjoy this interview just as much as I did. Well, without further ado, the interview with Rabbi Saberman. Rabbi Saberman, thanks so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule uh, for this interview. Much appreciated. It's my, it's my honor and my pleasure to to share with you whatever thoughts you and whatever questions to answer any questions you'd like to be answered. Okay, amazing. So you started the Animama Foundation in two thousand and nine. What exactly is the Animama Foundation? What's its mission, and how did it start? Okay, so you asked me three questions. The Animama Foundation is a was started to spread the teaching of the basics of Amuna in the Torah world. Because for whatever reason, they have somehow fallen off the radar and are not focused on in the regular curriculums. And and actually, this is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of being a Jew is to know that Moshe Emes Vaserasa Emes, that the Mesorah is 100% true, starting with the existence of the Ribbon Shalom, Torah Menashemayim, all of that. And it, so therefore, we, uh, we started the Animama Foundation, as you've said, in 2009. And our mission is because we have seen, we started with the assumption that we have seen that many of the youth and even adults have serious questions 
about the foundations of Amuna. How do we know it's true? How can we be sure? And, and those that don't have specific questions certainly lack the clarity to know that it's true. They're just going through the motions. They're doing what they always did. They don't think about it. But, but that, that does not give the excitement and the passion that can come when one knows for sure that this is the absolute truth. And so therefore, we, with that assumption, we also had the assumption that the questions that are being asked can be easily answered. If you strip away from the presentation, anything that's not compelling, and just present the facts on the ground about Aramuna, it is possible to reach even a youngster that he should see that the Mesora is true and that there's no competition. The other beliefs do not have the foundation that our Mesora has. And, and there's nothing out there to compare to it. And therefore, they, they are strengthened in their amuna. And this is, for many, our experience has been life-changing. And these two assessments, that they do have these issues, and it's a call of the hour to address them, and that they can be addressed, have been agreed to by many of the Gedola Yisrael who have backed us and given us their approbations, their haskomas, on what we do and on our materials, amongst them, many, uh, amongst many, there's Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky Shlita, Rav Yebrudni Shlita, Rav Ruven Feinstein Shlita, Rav Avram Chaim Levin Zeich was very, very strongly behind us and actually stated so in a psicha to the Torah Masora Convention a number of years ago. And he spoke about the need to teach Amuna and mentioned the Animaman Foundation by name and recommended our materials. And Reb Zev Lef and Eretz Yisrael has written numerous haskamas for us. Reb Aaron Feldman, uh, the Rosh Hashiva of Nair Yisrael Baltimore has been behind us. Reb Shlomo Miller in Toronto has stated clearly in numerous times that he sees the problem and and backs us in all that we do. And so, Baruch Hashem, we feel that we have the Haskama of many gedolim. And But more than that, we those people that are in the trenches and speak to the children openly have no doubts that this is true. Those who have doubts about it is because they have never discussed it openly with their with their students, because you know they don't they want they don't want to open a can of worms and introduce questions, and so so I asked one of such people. I said to him, "Tell me, how do you know what your students are thinking, what their questions might be, if you've never engaged them in these conversations?" And they know that you wouldn't be too receptive to such questions. You might even be upset with them, so they won't ask. And for this, he had no answer. 
He said, I don't, we don't, we really don't. So those people who deal with this, speak to the children. They know that this is, these are the facts on the ground, that the children have questions, not only children, adults too. Rav, Rav Hirschman Shlita, the, uh, the co-Rosh Kolel of, together with Rav Shlomo Miller in Toronto, wrote this in one of the Haskomas that he gave on my book, that these questions bother not only the, the youth, but adults as well. So it was for this purpose that we founded Animarmen. And if you want to know the history of how it all started, so it goes like this. Many years ago, I started teaching in Yone Amuna to uh, a voluntary vod in Yeshivas Ner Yisrael of Toronto. And uh, cassettes were made at that time. For, for those people who remember what cassettes are, cassettes were made. And eventually the cassettes were redone and ma- made into CDs, which are also obsolete now, but made into CDs. And uh, on the basics and on some other subjects of Amuna. And in 2007, I called Rabbi David Naiwitzlita, the head of Torah Masora, who's an old chavir from Yeshiva. This was not long after he took over the position of leading Torah Masora. And I told him about the CDs that I have. And I said to him, but much more than using that they do use the CDs, they're in their catalog and they promote them and like them. But much more than that, I said, how do we get a moon to the next generation? Because it's not being focused on. So he said, you know what? This was in December, 2007. He said, I'm inviting you to come to the Torah Masura convention and give a workshop on the subject. This was a lot of time. So I went. Now, generally, when you, everybody's different. When you're preparing to speak, some people prepare a long time in advance. Some people prepare immediately before or a day before. I usually prepare pretty close to the time that I'm going to speak. But for this particular drasha, I prepared for months in advance. And it was, without a doubt, the most impassioned talk that I've ever given. And I've been a speaker for Baruch Hashem many decades. So after this, I was asked to write a booklet on the subject, the need to address these issues. I spent many months doing it, a whole winter of 2009, and it was published in 2009 under Torah Masora's auspices with the Haskama of Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky and Rav Shlomo Miller Shlita. And at that time, two wonderful people, Iskim Tzibur, each one on his own, became familiar with the booklet and called me and said, we want to be part of this effort. So we formed a team and we began doing, this was 
without a without a penny to our names, without an office, without a secretary, but we began. So we spoke. These two people lived in Muncie. Rabbi Pinchas Young Schlitter, who's a, a world famous darshan, originally from England, involved in Kinnach and a very chosh of a balabos named Rabbi Shiglau. And it's to these people that the credit for Animamin goes, because without them, I never would have even thought, dreamed of beginning an organization. And so since they both live in Muncie, so we started working in Muncie. We spoke small drosha in Muncie. And then the first major drosha was in November of 2009. And after the drosha, I received a telephone message from Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky. I was at Talmud in Philadelphia many years ago. So Rabbi Shmuel said to me, he said, Rabbi David, I heard it was Givaldic. You should go and speak it. Keep it up. So I called him back and I said, Rosh Hashiva, the Haskana and the encouragement is very choshev to me. However, I want the Rosh Hashiva to know what I plan to do. And please tell me if it's the right thing. So I said, we want to give the youth a forum to ask their questions uninhibited, without embarrassment, and to get solid answers. Is that correct? And he said, absolutely. And so from that time on, Baruch Hashem, we had his Haskama and the Haskamas of many others. And so we have, uh, in the course of the 12 years, we have spoken in cities across the continent and uh, even overseas. My shooter for Pincus Young was in Australia for 16 days a number of years ago, and he spoke to very receptive audiences. And Baruch Hashem, we see, we've, in the course of these years, we have spoken to hundreds and hundreds of Makhadim. And most of them share our assessment of where the generation is holding in matters of Amunah. So this was the beginning of Animamin. And so since that time, we've written, we have written materials. Baruch Hashem had this course to write three books. The first one is about the very basics of Emuna, called Emuna, a refresher course. The second is called the Unbroken Chain, which is about the, the Amitus and the validity of Torah Shabbat. And the third one is about called Tranquility and Travail, which came out less than a year ago. It's about Tzadik Veraloi, Rosh and the and human suffering and the on these matters, not to resolve mysteries that are unsolvable for the human mind, but merely to bring together the statements of Chazal that do clarify many of the issues of the things that we go through. Wow. Can that give you a little bit of a picture? Definitely. 
it sounds like you saw a um, something that was missing in our people and you went in to fill that void. And it's, I mean, it's spread. I mean, I know you've given, what is it, thousands of shiurim through the, over the I don't past. know about thousands, but a lot of shiurim, Baruch Hashem, a lot of shiurim. We have other written materials as well, by the way. We have a beer tefillah booklet, which is used in many, in many schools. We have, um, we have uh, other, other CDs on, on other subjects, which I would call like level two Amuna, not the basics, but other inyanim of Amuna. So, uh, Baruch Hashem, we, we have been around there. We, And uh, we've spoke, we speak for children, sometimes young children. If you speak in a manner which, we, which, which is age appropriate, you can present in Yone Amun even to young children. Mm-hmm. Most often for older children, like high school children. We speak, we've given training courses for Machanchem. We have such training courses can be, uh, we have them online. We've given, we've given talks for parents, how to instill Imun in the home. And we've spoken for communities. Of course, COVID curtailed some of our traveling. I didn't travel for about two years. I was in Atlanta about two months ago over a, a whole a whole program over the weekend, over Shabbos, Kaidish. So, Baruch uh, Hashem, it's been very rewarding because the feedback has been phenomenal. From, from the youth themselves, from the Chantim, from the Nahalim, and the Nahalois, and from adults who have been exposed to the materials. So- so it sounds like there is this this lacking in um, in Betachan and Amuna and faith in, in our people. Where do you think the lacking came from? Is this a new thing for this generation? Has it always been around? Has it proliferated? What's the source of this? Okay, so this is something that I've spoken about many times. First of all, you have to know that after the war, when the when the world of Torah was was being rebuilt. By the, by the very brave people who undertook that effort against so many obstacles. So they focused on, on instilling a desire for learning in the Talmudim. They focused on certain things. And don't forget that they were coming. These people were coming from a generation. Most of their parents were European or at least their grandparents and their grandparents had a certain emuna pshuta, and emuna was at the time not considered the major issue, and it sort of fell off the radar. And we know that the institutions are very busy dealing with the talmidim and their financing and their curriculums and and instituting something which wasn't done last year or 10 years ago is not an easy thing to do. Besides the fact that some people are still skeptical about the benefit of doing this or the, or how wise it is to do this. 
So therefore, uh, it fell off the radar. Now, when I went to Rabbi Yehuda Jacob's Zechat Sadiq Nebracha in Lakewood, I went to him when I had the manuscript of my first book. And I told him what I'm doing. He did indeed say to me, he said, you're 50 years late. We needed this 50 years ago. Wow. But I, I wasn't doing this 50 years ago, although I was already teaching 50 years ago, but I wasn't doing this 50 years ago, mm-hmm. although uh, many Talmudim have told me that I did speak about these things mamish decades ago. Of course, not as thoroughly as I speak about them now, because over time, you know, you accumulate more and more information and more and more thoughts on the subject. So it was not on the radar. Now, there, was a, there are other factors here as well. We're living in a door that has lost a certain amount of respect for authority. There once was a time when if a, a boy, a youngster, boy, a girl would say, if my father told me that Hashem gave us a Torah on Harsinai, do I have to question it? Our kids can question. Our kids question authority. There's almost nobody in the world any event you don't like, you make a protest. This is the this is the world we live in today. So therefore, and this is the Iqvasid Mashikha is the time when the Khazal have told us that the respect for authority will break down, the, the trust in Khakamim will not be there, the family relationships will be weaker, and so on and so forth. So just because my father said or my Rebbe said this, I cannot question it. So it's an obvious question. So how do I know it's true? And if no answer is forthcoming, I've spoken to many youth, even some that went off to their And they said, we asked questions and we got no answers. So we had the impression that there are no answers. And there are answers. Revolba wrote to a Talmud, wrote to a Talmud. He says, you think that in a world of Hashemayim, Mesaprim, Kvod, Ke'elomasi, Yodav, Magidav, there is no way to demonstrate the truth of the Amunah. Of course there are answers. Just, and the truth of the matter is that you don't have to be not a rocket scientist and you don't have to know Kabbalah in order to give it over properly. You, what you must do is you must be somewhat knowledgeable, of course, and you must chip away from the presentation anything that's not compelling. You have to tell them the things that are going to inspire them. So when we speak about the existence of a creator and we present example of after example of Niflois Habayre, how you see the design in the universe, which goes, by the way, against all that the scientists, the atheistic scientists are saying and so on and so forth. And someone who doesn't have an agenda and who is still objective cannot fail to see that the world has a designer. So then it's so easy to go and tell them, you know, that designer, that creator, the national Jewish history is that that creator spoke to us on our scene. That's our national history. We've never claimed anything otherwise. The Nevi'im never rebuked the people for not believing, although they rebuked them for almost every other sin you can imagine. But not for this. 
Emuna was not the issue. They had other Yitzhahs, but not Emuna. So that's the, that's the history of the Jewish people, that we stood by Har Sinai. And not only that, but Lahavdal, even the Christians and the Muslims, subscribe to the revelation at Sinai, but they merely say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is fickle, and he changed his mind, and he chose, he chose this one or this one. But, but the revelation at Sinai is, is agreed upon even by them. Mm-hmm. And when we show them things in the Torah, like how the Torah predicted the entire pattern of Golos, that we would be, how we would be banished from place to place, and we would be discriminated against in the end of Pashas Kisava, and we would remain small in number. I mean, we should be about a billion people today. But, but miraculously, the Torah predicted that we would remain small in number, and we're still small in number. Yeah. And... Torah told us that we would be scattered from one end of the earth to the other, and so we are. And these are things that have often never been presented to the students, and they're eye-opening. Yeah, who did write that? Who could have written that except Akash When we tell them that, I, that the Mishnah says that any fish that has scales has fins, kosher scales has fins, and they've never found a fish that has kosher scales and no fins, with all the, the modern equipment to see what's going on at, even at the bottom of the oceans, it's impressive. These things are impressive and compelling. And then when we show them what the other Lahavdil religions say about themselves, how they started on the word of one man, and who had a small following. So, and then the the New Testament was full of threats. Whoever doesn't believe in in, in that belief is going to burn in you know where forever. And and the Muslims say the same thing. And Mohammed wasn't believed and his religion spread by the sword. So what validity does that have? But by Klal Yisrael, the theme of the Torah is that I, Moshe Rabbeinu says over and over again, I don't have to convince you because you know it's all true. You saw it all yourself. So it sounds like so this is, yes, that the previous generation, there were, it wasn't that we were lacking in the system. It's that it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a question because the Muna was so strong in the previous generation and over time, I'm not sure if the Amunu was so strong or it wasn't felt that it needs Chizuk. That, okay. I, but either way, either way, it was not the main focus of the time. In okay. those days, even to start a cheder was a massive undertaking. And they began teaching children, Shnayis, Chumash, Gemara, Yaakov came to America at, they were focused on other things. Also, today is a problem in that we do not see the Amunah Pshuta of a few generations. We don't see that. Mm-hmm. We don't see the people who literally felt the presence of HaKadosh Baruch, even simple people. There was once an Amunah Pshuta, like someone told me that his father who wasn't so 
very observant, but when he would put his hand on the mezuzah to go to Kol Nidre, he would pour forth tears. Now, I know a lot, a lot of people who are surely more observant and more learned than that person was. And when they put their hand on the mezuzah, they, they do feel a lot, but they don't pour forth tears. This is, this is part of our generation. We have lost some of the passion. To some extent, it's mitzvahs and Oshem and we're going through the motions. There's also a very great emphasis on the material, on Gashmias, which is a deterrent from the passion for Rothmias. So there are many reasons why we don't feel this. Also, by the way, you know that the, the Beis HaLevi has a very long shear in Pashas Nayach about says that the animals were destroyed in the Malbu because they were crossbreeding, but they only have instinct. They don't have a Yetzirah. So he explains how the Tumah of the people, when it's so so in, excessive, can spill over into the rest of the creation. So, And we're living in a generation where really there's nothing that's described about the Dora Mabul that we don't have today. I don't want to go into that, but that's that's the fact. So, so uh, if that's the case, so our air is polluted. Our air is polluted. The atmosphere is polluted. And so therefore it's it's very hard to maintain that same level of of, uh, of enthusiasm and inspiration and clarity that people once had in a world that was relatively pure. So there's more struggles in this generation. There's more that's that's out there that um, I guess it, it just it's it 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 obscures their view of Amuna. And so now we got to peel that back and instill them with these concepts. That's right. Now. Emuna is not a guarantee. Even a person who is a staunch mammon can still be a chote, can still succumb to various yitzahos. And the truth is that our Tanakh and our history are full of such people who knew the score and somehow ignored it, who knew the truth and ignored it because their their whims and their, their tivists were just too strong for them. But without Emunah, so it's like this, and when there's a when there's a fight and one person has the weapons and the other has none, so you know who's gonna win. So Emunah is our weapon. Mm-hmm. Now we're ready to fight the Yitzhah, we have weapons. Will we win? That depends. Some people win, some people unfortunately don't win, but at least Emunah is the weapon with which we can combat with the eight so far. Well, at least we have a fighting chance. That's at right. least we're armed. So th- we, we touched upon it earlier about teaching children. Now, this is something that's personal for me because I know when I was about eight years old, I was in the summer camp and there would be talked about this idea of um, divine knowledge and free will. And, you know, give me an answer that reconciled it in my, you know, my eight-year-old mind. And I realized that through the years, I never had an issue with that question, even as I became more sophisticated and nuanced in my perspective. So for me, I realized that hearing it when I was younger really made an impact in me even till today as I'm, you know, I guess, legally an adult. But 
there are people out there who will say, well, how could we introduce these children to these questions? Because now they'll start having sphikis in the Muna. So how do you answer those people who are, I guess you could call them, you know, naysayers, for lack of a better term, who have this struggle of, of reconciling this idea of opening kids' minds up to these concepts, but are so scared that they may hear questions in the Muna? So the answer is that those people who think that way are under a mistaken impression. Because we do not present the children, even even the teenagers, with questions that might make them think twice about their money. We our mandate is to teach them the foundations of Amuna, which will circumvent the questions, which will provide them with the answers when they do think about the questions but also to give them the opportunity to actually ask in a way that they are uninhibited so that they can express their questions. And by the way, this is not something you can just hear it once and you're finished. Sometimes you have to hear it again and again, just like anything else. You have to hear it, you have to review it, you have to think about it, and the question comes back to you. But we do not present questions. We certainly don't walk into a classroom of seven-year-olds and say, hey, kids, how do you know there's a God? We wouldn't, yeah, well, I mean, we would have to be a little bit insane to do something like that. Of course, we don't do that. We do not introduce questions. The only time we did, did uh, such a thing was on the CDs called Know What to Answer to Yourself, which have been heard today by, I would have to say, tens of thousands of people. And there we started off with, Imagine that you're sitting on a plane and somebody comes in the plane and starts asking you questions and how would you answer? And maybe you don't know the answer, but not only you don't know the answer, how to answer him, but you don't even know how to answer for yourself. That's how we started. That wasn't made for children specifically. It was made for adults. Mm-hmm. And the questions are so obvious, like the stipulars says, you don't have to be a going to ask, how do we know? You don't have to be going to ask such questions. How can we be sure? Anybody who has a little bit of common sense can ask himself, I'm learning a lot of things here, but how do I know that they're all true? So you're not really introducing any new questions to them, but in the classroom, we never do that. Never. So it sounds like you're giving them the foundation, giving them the concepts and the, any questions that come out, we're already there from within. You're just simply giving them the space to ask, or you're not introducing new questions. That's correct. Okay. So it's, I guess it's really, a, it's, it's, it's a non-issue when you're solid in the moon, when you have the answers yourself, the, the, there's no questions that come up. There's no questions that come up, but if they do, I have... By the way, I want to tell you that in all the years that we have been going around and speaking for various groups, the discussion has never turned into a debate. Never. Never. And I have not yet encountered a youngster who I thought was just asking because he's looking for an excuse to get out. I'm sure there may be such such youth. But I have not encountered them in the 
hundreds and hundreds of youngsters we have spoken to have not yet encountered such a thing. Because the truth is that the youth are not asking questions to get out. They'd like to get in. They'd like to have the reassurance that what they were brought up with and what they were trained to do is actually in line with the truth and it really matters and it really makes a difference. And that is what our presentations are. So it sounds like you, even kids who come across as quote unquote rebellious, they actually want in. They want validation. They want to know that what they're doing is true and you're not sitting there to reject. In a certain yeshiva where I had spoken a few times already, so I was asked by the Manas, I was scheduled to speak there and have a question and answer session. So the Manas said to me, how long do you need? I said, I need two hours. He says, what? Two hours? I'll have a mutiny on my hands. The kids, when the kids hear it's two hour session, they go, I said, listen, you asked me how much time I need. That's how much time I need. So they scheduled it for two hours. So I spoke maybe 25 minutes and I opened it up to the questions. And the questions just flowed out from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And when the two hours were up, they were disappointed that the session was over. And the Manaha wrote this to me in a beautiful letter that he was very surprised. And he heard feedback from parents that the children were disappointed when the session was over. These are their questions. These are their doubts and their need for reassurance. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to reassure them that what they were told when they were little boys and they were put on tzitzis, or when the, the little girl was taught how to wash Natila's Yodayim or to make hamotzi, that this is part of the system of Teras Moshe, which is Moshe Emes Vesevasa Emes. That's wow. what we're doing. So it's coming from them. It That's wasn't right. given to them, it's coming from them. That's right. Is there an age that's too young to start discussing in Ani Emuna? Yeah, when they still have a pacifier in their mouths, then they're probably too young to discuss Emuna. Okay. But with young children, I, I know of a first grade Rebbe here in Toronto who uh, is a fan of what we do. And he teaches his class the Yud Gimel Ikram, not in the, not in the Animam, it's not with the words, but he teaches them there's a creator, there's only one, and, and we should only dive into him. And, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu is the, is the true Navi. He teaches that, and he reviews it every day so that by the end of the year, they are inculcated with the Amuna in the Yud Gimel Ikram. That can be done. It can be, every Rebbe, when a Rebbe teaches Chumash to a five-year-old, he has to teach it on a five-year-old when he teaches Chumash to a 12th grade, he has to teach it on a 12th grade level. So Emunah too, one must learn how to present these issues or other issues on an age-appropriate level. So it sounds like the age is when they start comprehending ideas and start grasping some concepts, you know, which I guess would be around four or five years old, six years old around that time. Right. And present it to them at their level. That's right. The mitzvah is when the child is capable of understanding at his level what happened. So 
I noticed a lot of your answers when it comes to Nia Amuna are based off of logic. Um, is there an idea of absolute logic, absolute knowledge, and is there a problem with absolute knowledge and free will? Absolute knowledge and free will. I don't. I'm not sure what the contradiction between. You can know something. You can know something, and you still have free will. I can know that something is dangerous, and I can choose to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I know it. I know it. So that, So right. So I, I. It's not. Yeah. So it's. It's not a contradiction with free will. But the idea of absolute knowledge is. So when you walk out at noontime, you have absolute knowledge that there's a sun in the sky. And there's nobody in the world who's going to convince you that that sun is a, a mirage. Mm-hmm. There's nobody. There's nobody. So there, the Torah says, You should know today, and then you turn it over to your heart. So let's start with the first half of the passage. Viodata doesn't mean to assume, to subscribe, sign on the dotted line, I am a from Jew, therefore I believe in everything that the Torah teaches. No, no. I believe it because I really believe it's true. That's Viodata. You should know it. Now, how do you know it? The things that we teach them are no chidush. They all come from the Sporem specifically from the Rishonim, the Rambam, the Ramban, the Sefer HaChinuch, this, they all spoke about this. The Torah is, the Torah is obviously the truth. It's obvious the truth, but you just have to focus on the things that will let you know that it's the truth. So that's logic. Now, there once was a time, by the way, we have a, a contrast that speaks about from the Svarim. It's just a collection of statements from Rishonim and, Ach- and mostly Rishonim, but even Achrayim, that one should substantiate the Amuna with Seichel besides accepting the Masorah. Those are two parts to the Amuna. The Kabbalah that we received from Harsinai and down, and what we can perceive with our Seichel. So the Mashiach and Bracha says, you should use your seichel to substantiate the emuna, and if you get to a problem, you should rely on the mesorah. But mm-hmm. it's very important to substantiate the seichel with the emuna with your seichel, and the seichel can indeed and easily bring a person to see that the emuna is true. That's the viodat. After that starts a lifetime career of of internalizing the amuna, and the more you internalize it, so the more it becomes absorbed into your feelings, your emotions. I heard, not firsthand but secondhand, from Bishem Rab Chatzke Levenstein that he said as follows. When you learn Aleph Beis and you finish it as a child, or if you're an adult who starts later, but you never go back to learning Aleph Beis again because you know it. With Emunah, 
you never take your eyes off the basics. You constantly have to focus on Har Sinai, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, on the basics of Amunah. It's not enough to have Amunah and put it on the back shelf and rely on it. You have to think about it all the time. That's how, when you do that, and I've, I always say that one of the best ways to strengthen Amunah is by thinking about the Niflois Habayre, which are so obvious in the entire universe, and that when you walk out on the street and you look at the plants and the animals, and also when you examine yourself in the mirror and you see how many Niflois there are in the human body, etc., etc., that you can have a constant awareness that there is a creator. And from that, it's easy to jump to the other stages, like we said before, that if that creator spoke to us by Asina and gave us a Torah. So, Lahavdale, always practice your jump shots. No matter how good you are, keep practicing that jump shot. That's right. That's what Rab Chaskel said. You have to always focus on the moon. I'm under the impression that when Rav Volbazatzal visited him, he said to him, You know that there's a creator? Go back and tell your students that there's a creator. There's a creator. That's what you have to focus on. Just keep focusing on it. Keep rehearsing it. Keep chewing it over. And, and keep the eye on the prize, which, which really leads into the next question, which is, how can you be Mechazik Imuna in a secular work environment? It's the same thing. It's not only a secular work environment. When you go out in the street, you also need the Mechazik Imuna. You are surrounded with a world that declares less din, less dayon. There's no judgment and no judge. The world is hefker. It's You're only here for your instant gratification. Every billboard is saying it, every newspaper, every magazine, wherever you go, and the preachers and all the things that we see in the street, you have to keep thinking about it and focusing. That's the first halach in Shulchan Hashem So you have to keep focusing on what you, especially after you have worked through the basic logic principles, the, the mamish, the basics, the simple aleph base of emunah, that there is a Be'erei Eilam who gave us a Torah with a Ter Shebaal Peh, the Ksav and Ter Shebaal Peh. You have to just keep reminding yourself that I know that it's true. It's just that there are things pulling me away and I have to resist. So I guess the real question is, how can you be Mechazik Imuna while learning in the Beis Medrash? You know, they say that Abitzel of Petterberger used to say when he learned the Machloikis Abaye and Rova, going out there, Talmud of Rabbi Salanta, he used to say like this, Abaye says that the, that the Ratzon Hashem is this way. And Rava says that the Ratzon Hashem is uh, this way. Oh, now, wow. I'm not sure we're all going to do that. <laughs> it's a bit much. You have to follow that. That's why there's a little fill of those portions to say when you sit down in the base Medrash, thank you for giving me the, the privilege to learn your Torah when we say Berkaz Torah in the morning. So, that that reminds us of what we're about to do when we're going to the base of matters. So so we're learning Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Torah, and the, we know that the the Teresh of Alper was eventually recorded in the, in the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch. That's really the Teresh of Alper that was once handed down orally. So this is the Rotz and Hashem. This is the Das Hashem. Wow, and I thought that question was just a joke. It's not. 
It's not a joke. No, not at all. It's, it's, it's everywhere you go. It sounds like it's, you have to constantly be focusing on it. That's right. And it's, over time. Mm-hmm. Always. Okay. Rabbi Saberman, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been how, my honor and pleasure. And I wish you continued hustle. Thank you very much. I mean, much. how can people contact you before we hang up? There's, they can contact the Animamin Foundation at, at 845-418-2122. They can email us at animamin.org. And, um, and my phone number is 416-823-9241. If people have questions, it's not uncommon for them to call me and I will give them as much time as I possibly can. Amazing. And I know firsthand you give a lot of your time. I know uh, you prepping for this interview. And where can people purchase you. your books? Excuse me? And where can people purchase your books and find you your room? Well, they can purchase them in bookstores. They can purchase them from the Animamin Foundation. By the way, if they go online, they'll see animaminfoundation.org. They can see all the, all the materials that we have. And the books are also available in Amazon. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Everybody. And the shiurim, most of the shiurim have been uploaded to Torah anytime. Okay, incredible. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Wow, what a great episode. Irby Saverman is truly an incredible person. He really gave me a lot of time prepping for the interview. He really, we really went through it and um, he, he really lives what he preaches. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Monday Morning Motivation. Thank you so much, David Chesner, for the intro music. You can find David Chesner's music on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Thank you to Jewish Podcasts for hosting our show. You can find us at jewishpodcasts.fm slash morty. That's jewishpodcasts.fm slash M-O-R-D-Y. Or search Monday Morning Motivation with Morty Liss. That's Monday Morning Motivation with Morty Liss, M-O-R-D-Y-L-Y-S-S, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe and please leave a five-star review. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any feedback or just want to say hi, you can contact me at Monday Morning Motivation Podcast at gmail.com. That's Monday Morning Motivation Podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to meeting with everyone next week or the next time we have another episode of Monday Morning Motivation. Until then, have an incredible week and thank you so much for joining us.